Let's get to the Word of God today. Are we excited for the Word of God? We're in the book of Acts. We're going to be reading similar verses for as what we read last week because we're, uh, we are busy with the uh, a two-week sermon on, you know, Pentecost and, and, and Jesus going up into heaven again. Um, and today is week two, and we're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And then we're also going to read just a few verses in chapter 2, um, just to give some context for where we are today. Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book... Theophilus, the book he's talking about is obviously the Gospel of Luke. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, See, eating soup competition. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2, verses 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and to began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that, that we as your church have this tremendous privilege of gathering together in your name again today. Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would fill us, teach us, and shape us so that we might be conformed to the Word of God. Help us to, to apply in our lives that we learn from your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is quite exciting. If you didn't know, today we celebrate Pentecost, which is, which is the story we just read. It's the story of the out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is really a two-part message. Uh, if you can remember last week, I, I shared on why Jesus left. We look a bit at, at the why of, of why Jesus left. And there's three reasons that I gave you. Number one, he had a mission elsewhere. He has an ongoing ministry that wasn't on earth anymore. He was done with what he came to do was point number two. And number three, he had to leave so that we can start what he left us. He had to leave because he didn't just leave, he left us something. So if he didn't go, he, we would not have ever been able to be mobilized in the church. That was a very important part of why Jesus left, so that we can get mobilized. Now, before I even get into today, because I'm going to cover a lot of ground today, I really am, but before I get into it, I want you to be encouraged today. I really do. When I speak about the Holy Spirit and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and being anointed by the Holy Spirit, this, is, this should not make us scared, but rather excited for the opportunity that we have to partner with Christ in the mission of the gospel. 
Because this is what he said, is, is I'm going to give you something that's going to equip and empower you so that you can be witnesses, so that you can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go in the unique gifting and calling that I have given each and every one of you. This should be encouraging. It really should be. And I hope that by the end of today, you're going to be so ready that you're not even going to stick around for the AGM because you're going to realize you've got a mission somewhere. You've been equipped, hon, I want to hear about the finances, but man, i got a world to save. Amen? Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. But see, God has, has given each and every one of you a unique set of gifts, a unique calling. And then He poured out His Spirit on you to enable you to live in that. So that we might be not one by one, but we as the church of Jesus Christ might be witnesses everywhere we go. And the reason I want you to be encouraged by this is because the church will be lacking if you are not living what God has given you. The church will be missing something, missing out on something. So today we're looking at the Holy Spirit and I wanted, the title of the message is just, we're not left alone. So why Jesus left week one, not left alone week two. And this is an important one. And I want to start with, with just a minute on, on who is the Holy Spirit, because this is vitally important. This is vitally important that we shape right in our thoughts who the Holy Spirit is. And I say who because I'm not going to read all of these, but there is scriptures for each of these. Acts 8 and 8.29 and 13.2 says He speaks. Number two, He makes decisions. Acts 15.28, He can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, He can be outraged. Hebrews 10.29, He can be lied to. Acts 5 verse 3 and 4, and He helps and supports us. And this is many, you know, scriptures, but let's just choose Romans 8 verse 26 and 27 there. But there are many more scriptures that proves that, that the Holy Spirit has character traits. And why this is important is all of a sudden you have to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just some metaphysical power or energy. This is vitally, vitally important. Because if we deal with the Holy Spirit merely as some metaphysical power or some energy, you know, just our source, what we're going to do is we're always going to look at Him at function. That's going to be what we talk about. When we talk about Holy Spirit, the first thing we're going to say is function. And what the problem is with that, it is incredibly self-centered. It is what I can get out of it. When we limit the Holy Spirit to His function, purely seeing Him as some force or energy, then the question is, how are you going to serve me? But is it not the Spirit of God which hovered over the waters at the beginning, at the creation of the universe? Is it not the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead? We're dealing with more here than just function. What it is for me, what I can get out of it, how it's going to build my ministry. We're dealing with the person of the Holy Spirit. And because we deal with a person and not some metaphysical energy, we deal in relationship. Because He is a person, we deal with Him in relationship, not merely function. And this is a very important distinction because ultimately the difference it's going to make, you know, we often say things, and this is not wrong. I'm not bashing anyone here. It's not wrong to say, Lord, we want all of you. But what if we change that prayer around to say, Lord, have all of me? Because relationship can't work if one of one person in the relationship just wants, 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 does it? 
But this is kind of the relationship we want to we want to foster with the Holy Spirit. We want to say, Lord, more of you, more of you, more of you. And he's like, I'm, I'm a person. I've already given you everything. <laughs> I'm not holding anything back. You just don't know me. And this is the difference I want us to start off with here is when we approach the Holy Spirit, we must approach him like a person, not just some metaphysical force or feel, not a chance. We must fall in love with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because every time Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit and spoke to the disciples about what is to come in the Holy Spirit, it is this beautiful terminology that we're going to get to in a minute that should comfort us. Not just make us think of function. But from the disciples, I believe we can learn a lot. We looked last week a bit about their response and, and maybe why they responded the way they did in praise and worship. I mean, Jesus just left. I would have been distraught. I'll be honest. And I said this last week. I would have been distraught. I mean, here Jesus goes up into the clouds. I would have been like, wait a second. Can we have another week? And they started worshiping and praising all of a sudden because they understood that there was a bigger reason to this. But I want to look at their waiting. For just a minute, we can learn something about the way they waited. And there's two specific things. They waited in surrender and they waited with expectation. They waited in surrender and they waited in expectation. Quickly back to, to, to the book of Acts, sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with him, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has sent by his own authority authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what I want you to notice, why I read this again, because it's quite important, their response here. Just, just notice that for a second. So Jesus says, hey, in a few days, you're going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, and the first thing they jump to is what we want. In fact, I want to take it a little bit further. The first thing they jumped to, their first response was their own expectations. They heard, while the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, and the, their first response was, oh, we're going to have political power. That was their first response. Oh, finally, finally, the church is going to rule the state. Oh, I'm stepping on toes. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes. That was their first response. Politics, power, finances, riches, the kingdom is going to be restored to them. Now here, I have to pause. We're going to go on in just a second. I have to just pause for a second. There is a dangerous lesson to be learned here. Because when we say we come with expectation, do we mean our own personal expectation? Or an expectation for God to be manifest in who He is and wants to be? Do we come and think, wow, we want to, we want to see the Holy Spirit when we do that, do we say, Lord, we want to see it our way or your way? Do we come with a prescribed set of expectations where we say, the Holy Spirit will always act like this? Imagine they did that to Jesus. Jesus will always heal blindness like this. And then every time he does in the scriptures, he does it in a different way. Amazing. But this is an important distinction because Jesus doesn't even respond to them. He's like, I don't have time to go into your selfishness at the moment. I don't have time to deal with it. I'm going to tell you what this is about. And he says, obviously, he's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you for the purpose that you will be witnesses all over the world. 
And here comes the difference. So from that, that first moment, they thought, oh, politics, power, finances, you know, we're going to rule. Because, I mean, they're being a little bit selfish, I'll be honest. That's what it sounds like. But from a moment in that, they go to a place of saying, God, then I'll wait and surrender. From that moment, they go, Lord, I'm going to surrender then to your purpose, not ours. Because they never go back to politics, never. This is the first two chapters of the book of Acts, and then we have chapter upon chapter about how they would surrender their lives to the purpose of God. In that moment, they go, okay, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. And this is so important. There is incredible power in surrender. But I want to ask you this morning, when you wait on the Holy Spirit, do you wait for Him to affirm your direction? Or do you wait for Him to give direction? And the reason there is so much power in Him directing is because the one who gives the power should also give the steps. We sometimes can look at the Holy Spirit and say, hey, we want your power, but we want it our way. I want this to succeed, so Lord, I just want you to come and anoint this that I'm busy doing. What we should be saying is, Lord, we want you to succeed in what you want to accomplish through our lives. That is waiting in surrender. That is waiting as the disciples that. And the second thing that they did is they waited with expectation. Now, this expectation thing is a principle we absolutely understand, but for some reason, not always so much with, with, uh, with God. Because if I get in line at spa wanting to pay for my things, I have an expectation that at some point I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there, right? And I'm going to pay for things. Let's not talk about the price of things. That's not up for discussion here. But you have an expectation that at some point you're going to, no one waits for no reason. Like, hey, what are you waiting for? No, I'm just standing by the chocolates, you know. This is what, what I do on a Sunday afternoon after church. I look at the chocolates and spar. No, you're standing there because you're waiting in expectation for something to happen when you get to the front of the line. And here the disciples show us something incredible in Acts chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. Men of Galilee, they said, this is the angels that appeared to the disciples when Jesus left. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who have been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, now listen, when I say wait in expectation, I want to clarify something just a little bit. Because expectation for me has more to do with how I wait than what I'm waiting for. This is important. Because sometimes we hear, you should have an expectation, you should have expectation, but that can breed quite a bit of selfish expectation. I'm coming to church today that I can receive. Maybe Hein gives me a free cup of good coffee or something like that. Sure, that's fine. But waiting in true expectation for God to arrive means waiting in a way that allows Him to be God and that changes how we act in that in-between stage. Now, in life, 
there's going to be many times that we're going to sit in this in-between stage between promise and outpouring. Promise and outpouring. There's going to be many times where we're going to sit in this between stage. Like, let's, let's take Joseph, who was in the stage where he received the promise when he was a young man and then had to be in prison for several years before outpouring, before the arrival. And when I say expectation, I'm talking about this gap in between here. I'm talking, for them it was 10 days, which depending on which way you look at it, it could have been a long or a short time. But, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be a gap of time that we're going to have to wait in a certain specific way or not. But what they did in Luke 24, 52, 53, same guy writing, and he says, they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. That is how they waited. That is what expectation looks like. That is what true expectation looks like. They joined together. They were worshiping and praising and just seeking God together. It was not about if, but how they waited. It's not about if, but how they waited. Now, now, as I said, 10 days, it could be long or short. I think it must have been pretty long. Because for some people, 10 days seems like an eternity. Imagine Jesus says, hey, just stick around. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. After three days, I'm sure some people would go, you know, Hein, I was expecting to have my own prophetic ministry by now. Um, you know, where is this Holy Spirit you speak of? And yet they stayed and they worshiped and they praised and they prayed and they spent time together day after day after day after day. That's because their expectation was in surrender and in the right way. That's because they were in surrender, expectantly awaiting God to be who He is. It's an incredible thing when you can be so surrendered to God that you can let go of your own ideas of what it should or shouldn't be. I'm sure no one expected tongues of fire. Let's be very honest. I would have had a fright. I'm just real with you. I mean, if the church starts burning right now, we have a wooden church, okay? It would freak me out a little bit. So just so you know, fire extinguishers, just out there. Um, don't extinguish the Holy Spirit, but if it's real flames, let's just. But they weren't there to realize their own ideas, ideologies, or even ideas about what the church should look like. Remember, just a few days ago, their idea of the, the, of the church should be Israel that is in, the, in, in control. And from there, they go to surrender and saying, Lord, whatever your will, may it be so. And then here comes the promise. After 10 days of, of expectantly worshiping and saying, Lord, we surrender to your will. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses, verses 1. I'm not sure how few, just a few verses there. It's not 1 to 12. Don't worry, it's not that many. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated on each, uh, sorry, and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, from all around. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because what they heard was each one heard their own language being spoken. 
the first thing people experience is a personal love from the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me explain why I say that. What is more intimate than your own language, than your mother tongue? What is more intimate than that? And the first thing they experience is the Holy Spirit enabling people to speak their language. I was blown away by this. Because maybe their language that day was Afrikaans or English or whatever. Maybe their language, their need was just to be seen, to be noticed. The first thing the Holy Spirit enabled wasn't these, these grandiose signs, wonders, and miracles. There wasn't a prophetic tent set up. Needs were being met. That's the first thing that happens. And I wonder how often we can miss the needs around us in society because we're focused on what we think the Holy Spirit should be doing. We've got this idea of these are the gifts, and I'm all for the gifts. But the gifts were still there to meet the needs of people. To meet the needs of hurting, seeking people. Sometimes we're so focused on the gifts, we forget about the needs. We shouldn't be asking, Lord, I want to see more of this gift through my life. We should be asking, Lord, what does that person need from you today? So I want to talk about two things. And don't worry, this is my last point, which is two points, but don't worry about that. Two things that the Holy Spirit enables us that we see evidenced even from the very beginning at His outpouring. We see two things. The Holy Spirit enables them to love God and love people. Two things. The Holy Spirit enables them to love God and love people. Listen, this is by no means a master class on pneumatology, which is the theology of the Holy Spirit. This is not that. This is us surrendering to the will of God so that we too might love God and love people. And why I say love God comes first here because when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit, John 14, 16 and 17, he says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he lives with you and will be in you. And, and just a few verses later in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is how Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit. Incredible. Now, why this is important, I realize we, we're, we're dealing with a challenging word here. If, if you would allow me just for a moment to deal with the Greek word parakletos, which is the word here for the Holy Spirit, which is, we, we see advocate, we see a lot of, we see some translations, advocate, helper, counselor. It is correct to call him the interpreter from that. Um, there, there's many there. And the reason is not because the Bible doesn't agree with each other or that any translation is evil or anything like that. The reason is the word parakletos cannot be summed up in a single word. It's impossible. It is as lacking as our Africa, English word, love. Love does not explain to us the words for love in the Bible. And here we have parakletos, but actually the term means someone you call to you in battle or in legal representation. That would be a better, accurate interpretation of what the Holy Spirit is. 
And through going through what Jesus taught and, and acts, we see exactly that, that he becomes the helper, the one you call to your side, the one that's there to guide you, to teach you, to encourage you, to help you understand, to remind you of what Jesus says. And, and the Bible says so clearly, it is impossible to understand the word of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? That even while I'm sharing, he's the one teaching. Isn't that incredible? See, the Holy Spirit is, is this incredible person who is there as, as Ezekiel 36, 27 encourages us. And it says, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That is the spirit of God. That is the Spirit of God. Enables us to honor and love God. To love Him so much that we will follow His decrees and laws. To remind us of the teachings of Jesus. To walk besides us in life. I'm not making any of this up. This is literally, I'm reading from Ezekiel, which is God Himself speaking through the prophet. And I'm reading from the book of John, which is Jesus Himself teaching on the Holy Spirit. I would, I would suggest these are authorities on the topic. All right? We're looking here at the best information possible. And one of the first things we learn is that He is there to help us love God, live righteously, and understand what it is we need to do absolutely phenomenal. He is our helper, but you would notice he is not the forcer. And I have to say this, that he is a gentle spirit who's not going to force you into submission, but is there for you when you need him. The question is not if he is our helper. The question is if you're going to surrender to his help. The question is, are you going to surrender in prayer to who he is and what he wants? Are you going to pray before walking into your workplace and saying, Lord, I want to follow your decrees today. I want to honor you. At the end of the day, this is, this is what my workday's first purpose is, is to worship you today. But I want to also talk about love people. And this is, this is where we're going to end it today. As I said, from the very beginning, the first thing is we see an intimacy in the ministry through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? An intimacy so that every person is touched on a personal level. We all know that the most beautiful word we can ever hear is your own name, right? We, we know this. There's a magic to someone speaking your name. There's a magic when someone can speak your language. And I know we're an English church, and I kind of feel like my home language is English these days, but, but I like it when I can speak Afrikaans to Afrikaans people. And there's something intimate about it. There's something intimate about God reaching us where we're at. And see, here the Holy Spirit is, is poured out, and we see this again and again, for the purpose of what? To be witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, as the NLT says, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
This is his empowerment. And when we read about this empowerment, we also know these scriptures that says, you know, we're going to do even more than Jesus did, right? We know this. And we think of the magical and we think of that, which is great. Listen, I'm all for that. But Jesus also just went and had a meal with sinners. We should do more of that. Not so excited about that. What Jesus also did is he met needs. He touched the untouchables and spoke to those whom Jews should not interact with. People below where he is. He met people where they're at again and again and again. And the Spirit empowered him to do it again and again and again. And this is what it means to be witnesses of the love of Jesus Christ. People should see it before they hear it. People should know it before you have to teach it. The Holy Spirit enables us again and again to live righteously and to love people and to show the world who Jesus is and even to exercise specific gifts and, 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 and things we read about in the Bible, but, but for the purpose of loving people. Did Paul not say, is, even if you speak in tongues and prophesy, if you have not love, you are nothing. Because even the purpose of those gifts of the Spirit is to love people. Are we getting this? The purpose is to love God and love people and the Holy Spirit enables us to do so. And I want to encourage you today that in your specific area of gifting or of talents, God wants to enable you to make a difference. See, what I'm not doing is I'm not sketching an image and saying this is what, if you receive the Holy Spirit, this is what you should look like. Not a chance. Because I believe each and every one of us has to fulfill a specific role in the body of, of Christ. You might be the hands or the fingers or the heart or the stomach or the neck or whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit enables you to do just that. So if you're the hands, man, you have the Spirit of God awakening in you an ability to be the hands, to be the eyes, to hear, to see, to smell. He's awaking within you the ability and the strength to be witnesses, not as a singular person, but as the body of Christ, for you to do your part in this. This is an incredible thing to know because I believe when we live out our purposes, we truly can, like Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We can do this, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even into the end of the age. This is, this is the mission, but I want to encourage you today. This is the mission we carry together. Not all of us are evangelists. We're not. But all of us have been given spiritual gifts. Gifts to do something. And if your gift is to show compassion, then show compassion. If your gift is to love, then love. If your gift is to give, then give. If your gift is to build a business that can shine godly principles into a dark world, then you better do that. If your gift is to... Counsel others, you better be counseling. If it is to preach, you better be preaching. If it is to lead, you better be leading. 
Because these gifts together make up the body of Christ, which enables us to be witnesses of the glory of God, even into the ends of the earth. We're sitting here today in a room full of people, each unique, each with a special purpose or calling, none better than the other and none worse than the other. And what we should be looking at today is we should be accepting this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit of being anointed and empowered to have the helper next to us who enables us to truly love God and love people. Love God and love people. To serve God and meet needs. Because even though our occupations and our gifting might differ, we were all called to be a part of this witness to a broken world. And that is the primary purpose for which the Holy Spirit was poured out on earth. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm done and we're going to have a cup of coffee, but I want to pray for you this morning because I want you to be empowered this morning when you walk out of here to do just that. So if you would stand with me. Lord, this morning we as, as Living Waters Churches expectantly in your presence. But this is an expectation that comes with surrender to your purpose. And I pray, Lord, just like they were gathered together, worshiping and praising. We are today gathered together in expectation for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that will equip us, empower us, and enable us to truly love you, to follow all that you have taught, and to love people. And that is to meet the needs around us so that people might see the love of Christ. Now I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us anew, that you would fill us anew that you would encourage us anew, that you would advocate for us anew, that you would help us anew, that we would know you anew. I pray right now, Lord, that we would be reminded of the person of the Holy Spirit who is here to, to equip us and enable us in this Christian walk. And I pray, Lord, as we go from here today, knowing your presence, knowing your power, knowing your enablement, knowing your purpose, Lord, that we truly would be able to love God and love people in such a way that we would be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ, a gospel that saves. Lord, I pray that in the way that we live out through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that people will be drawn to the love of God to the mercy found only in you, to eternity that is only begotten through you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have a new fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation. Lord, we're sorry for when we made the church about us. Lord, we know that the church is, is primarily yours. The church is your vehicle, your chosen method to take the good news into the world. And today, as we think about your Holy Spirit, we accept that call afresh anew again today to be witnesses in Sabi, in this region, in, in Gauteng, and wherever we might find ourselves in a week or two. We accept the call, Lord. We accept the responsibility to do our part through the enablement of the Holy Spirit so that many might be called to your name. Now send us, Lord, so that we might make a difference wherever we go.
In Jesus' name, amen.